Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Morrison's Tours Go Southampton podcast and another entry into the Ask the Expert series today. Um, I was so, so privileged to be able to sit down and talk to Helen Woolbridge of the Maritime Archaeology Trust and she was able to talk to me and just give me some insight into a project that the Maritime Archaeology Trust has been working on over 2019 and 2020 and has been tidying up and sort of finishing off this year. Um, the D-Day Stories from the Wall project. And it's a project that aims to preserve the legacy of the American soldiers that passed through Southampton during World War II. Um, and it's an important part of the city's heritage in that it preserves the crucial role of the city and these soldiers in the war itself. Now, one of the most amazing things about this project is that the Maritime Archaeology Trust, working alongside communities and volunteers, have actually been able to put together um, a digital record of the wall and to be able to um, give you links to look into the stories behind the soldiers and to really understand how they were as people as opposed to just a name etched onto a wall in graffiti as they passed through Southampton at the time. It was an absolutely fantastic and fascinating interview and I'm so grateful for Helen for giving up her time and shedding the light that she did on this project. I'm so looking forward to sharing it with you guys, glad you're able to hear it um, and what I'll do as well is to put some links in the description um, of this podcast episode to the Maritime Archaeology Trust website where you can look into the project in more detail. There's a whole 3D digitalised version of the wall where painstaking work has gone in to make sure that every brick is labelled um, and you can use that to not only explore the wall in three dimensions but also the stories of the soldiers behind it provided by their families um, and followed up with, again, fantastic research by volunteers as well as the trust itself. Hope you enjoy this episode. It was fascinating for me to listen to and I'm sure it will be for you guys. I'll say no more. Here we go. Today I'm here with Helen from the Maritime Archaeology Trust. Helen, thank you so much for coming on uh, to talk to us today about some of the work that's been going into the D-Day's uh, Stories from the Wall project, looking at American soldiers in Southampton, um, particularly in the form of the, the, the wall itself, which is covered in different uh, graffiti with the names of people who passed through the city all those years ago. Um, and really looking forward today for you to be able to tell us more about the, the project and what you've, you've found out there um, and what it tells us about the wider context of Southampton during World War Two. So, Helen, first of all, thank you very much for coming on this morning. Um, and if you could just begin by telling us a little bit about the project itself and what that's involved. Hi, yes, thanks for having me. Um, so it's an 18-month community project funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Um, and we involved 75 volunteers to record and research the names on the wall. Um, the wall is in Western Esplanade in Southampton. If you know that area, it's the Grand Harbour Hotel. It's the wall of the car park. And as you say, it's so covered in names. Um, three and a half million soldiers passed through Southampton during World War II. And some of them, uh, we recorded 76 inscriptions that we could read, left their names and, and hometowns on that wall. And we've been busy researching them. Yeah, it sounds like a, an amazing project, and I'm sure those people that were involved have really enjoyed being part of that project. And it's great that we can now sort of hear a little bit about 
what your discoveries were. And um, you, you mentioned then about there are sort of three and a half million soldiers that, that passed through Southampton during World War Two. What do we know about the history of those soldiers, particularly from the American background, but, but just uh, across the board, I suppose? Um, what happened in Southampton for those soldiers in World War Two? Um, well, when uh, America joined the war after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, um, it was decided that we would ally with America and we would defeat Hitler first, Hitler before Japan. And so that brought over two, over two million soldiers through Southampton as part of Operation Bolero, the big build up towards the D-Day invasion. Um, lots of equipment came over, the Lend-Lease equipment, and the vehicles, food, ammunition, weapons, everything you can imagine, even train engines were being unloaded in the docks. Everything we could possibly need for the invasion, and then came the extra forces to be able to back that up. So, so over two million American men, one and a half million other Allied men, including Canadians and French, uh, all here in Southampton, passing through first into uh, France, Normandy for the D-Day invasion, but once that area was cleared, they were still passing through France to get into other battles, such as the Battle of the Bulge in the Ardennes, and most of those men went all the way through to Germany and into the end of the war. The fascinating story behind Southampton there, and just the, the different individuals that would have been here in World War Two from across the globe at the time. Um, and you touched on D-Day then, so obviously the, the stories from the War Project is focused on that D-Day wall and, and D-Day itself. So what happened in particular in Southampton with regards to the build-up for and, and then its role in D-Day itself? Um, Southampton um, became the major port for where men would embark overseas. Um, so there were lots of camps in the surrounding area, all the camps in the city centre, all the parks were on the parks. There were vehicles parked in all the streets outside people's houses. They were here for some some weeks and maybe months before, and um, they became quite friendly with the locals. There's lots of oral history about the locals giving them cups of tea and playing with the kids in the street. Um, so all these forces were building up, getting ready for the invasion. So we had the Mulberry Harbors being built in Southampton docks, and the embarkation hards, or four embarkation hards, where they were believed from in Southampton. Um, the main one uh, is sort of kind of the Red Funnel Ferry area. So every time you drive past there, that's where all the landing craft were in, taking the men out. Um, so the D-Day wall itself is slightly misleading. People originally thought those men were, were here just for D-Day. But in fact, some of those men were here a few months before D-Day. And the dates on the wall go all the way through um, to actually be beyond the end of the war. Because even beyond the end of the war, Americans were still coming over to go out to France and Germany to relieve the men that had been out there and to continue occupation duties and to bring equipment back. So right into sort of February, March 1946, we still have dates appearing on the wall. So it, the wall actually represents the whole of World War II. That's a fascinating story to have. And so could you tell us a little bit more about the history of the wall itself? So from what I understand from sort of what I've read on your fantastic um website articles which i recommend anyone listening go and, and have a little look at we don't have as much of the wall left as we once did um so so how did it sort of come about to be able to record these names and and how did that sort of process happen the wall itself was built in about 1910 and then it was part of the city mortuary complex um that was demolished in the 1990s and part of the wall extended further down towards the waterfront that part was completely demolished it did have some graffiti bricks and some of those were saved 
and built into a small wall, which you can, you're welcome to go and walk around into the car park and you can see the small section of wall with some of the bricks that have been saved. Um, the, 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 site, the section that remains now was allowed to remain as a war memorial. And also across the road, there were houses in the 1970s that were demolished and they had some graffiti bricks on too. And those bricks were saved by the actions of a local resident at the time. And some of those bricks have also been built into the small wall. So we got sort of three areas of inscriptions, of which only one now remains standing, but some of the safe bricks are behind in this small wall. And all those names, and it's it's fantastic they've been saved, and, and we've still got this record today. Um, as I understand it, that's been preserved as a war memorial by the Imperial War Museum as well, that it's been officially recognised its importance there. With regards to these names then, so what, do we know any sort of stories behind that? What, what possessed these individuals to, to carve their name into these walls? Can, can we learn any more about these people and who they were as opposed to being just a name on the wall? Well, when the project started, we weren't really quite sure how much information we were going to find. But when you just look at a name on a wall and then you can see a hometown and you can literally, the first one, literally I went onto Google, typed in Kurt Hodges, Illinois, and straight away an obituary came up. And it told us that he was in the Battle of the Bulge and there was a photo of him, which I you know, was really surprised to find any photos. Um, so just from a few details, it's amazing what you can find. And we actually found one of the men was still alive at the time, Mr. William Muller from New York. He wrote his name on the wall in December 1944. And we were able to speak to him last January. And it was really amazing. He did remember writing his name. Um, and he told me that he was mar he was marching through Southampton. They had come by train the night before, and he was waiting in the docks, ready to embark. So it was quite a build-up, trying to get all these men and equipment and vehicles through, led to quite a lot of delays. And William Muller was one of nine men who belonged to the 106th Infantry Division, and they were all drivers. And he couldn't quite remember, but I think they were. I think as drivers, they were parked next to the wall waiting to load up and the rest of the infantry had gone on by foot round to the waterfront so we have this lovely group of nine names um which we can trace all through the war they all survived the war fortunately um and a couple of them remained friends for the rest of their lives kurt and bill remained friends until their deaths it's amazing to hear those stories and it must have been such an incredible experience to be able to talk to that gentleman firsthand and you know, it's, it's not then that we have to sort of empathise and put ourselves in a position of what, what would somebody have been feeling before carving their name in the wall and the uncertainty that lay ahead. We don't have to have that level of empathy because you can speak to the person and, and what, a, mm. what, a, what a wonderful thing to have happened. Um, in terms of the, the names that are on the wall as well, we've, we've mentioned the um, the American soldiers and we use quite a blanket term there in saying American soldiers and yes, we can go and access that database. As I understand it, there's... Um, well, and listeners may not be aware of. Generally speaking, in World War Two, there was a lot of segregation in the um, in the U.S. Army between white and black soldiers. So, can we see that played out at all on the wall? Is that maybe different to what we'd expect, or does it continue that narrative? So, there was complete segregation in the U.S. forces at that time, and within the city, we know that they had to be in separate camps. They had to have separate duties. They weren't allowed to mix socially. There were separate Red Cross clubs for the black and the white soldiers. So it was a bit of a surprise to find on the wall that their names were intermingled with absolutely no distinction. And a name like James, you don't know if that's a black person or a white person. So there's no way of knowing until you research in the records and you find out whether they were black or white. And it's lovely to see that all intermingled on the wall, as I say, with no distinction, when all other aspects of their life 
were segregated. And do we know of any particular case studies of, of any of these black Americans that the, the Maritime Archaeology Trust or volunteers have researched that, in, in the same way we talked about earlier, can continue and, and be alive today as well? Yeah, so we found a group of nine uh, black Americans. They were with the 449 Quartermasters Gasoline Supply. So their role was to make sure that fuel was advancing through Europe to keep up with the advancing army. And nine of them, I say, wrote on the wall. One of them, uh, Joe Mason, he was from Illinois. Um, he joined the army very young, had quite a sad background. Um, and he had, he had a son before he left for the war. And his son went on to be Bobby Joe Mason of the Harlem Globetrotters. It was quite an interesting story. So again, all of their stories can be found on the database. It's been harder to find records for them. We do mostly have their draft cards, but not so many photos, unfortunately. Um, but Dalton Newfield was an American photographer. Sorry, he was the provost marshal of the port and he was also a keen photographer. And he's left an archive of photographs in Southampton and it shows uh, the black and white troops doing different aspects of their social life, their off time in the city. And that's quite an interesting record as well. You can see the black Americans working in the docks and the white Americans working alongside but separate. As I understand it, graffiti is a really important archaeological resource in a lot of ways. And it has a lot of um, negative connotations in today's society, but even going back to sort of ancient times of Greece, Rome, examples, there are so many um, sources that, that are recorded graffiti, if, if you like, carving things into walls, and it's been happening for millennia at this point. So with graffiti, what makes it such a useful and interesting piece of archaeological evidence? I think it's just the way that it adds that personal level that you know that a person was stood there and they touched that and they made that carving. And for me, you know, to think what they were thinking, why were they there? Why were they making that carving? What did they think that carving was going to... Did they think it was going to last? Did they think people were going to see it? What did they hope people would think if they saw it? There's so It's just that personal touch for me. And I love to see names in history and be able to relate that to people and their experiences. Yeah, I think as well for me, that's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's that taking away the objectivity, if you like, and making it very much somebody was there at the time, somebody's done that, and, and yeah, is that personal story behind it. But such a fantastic project to work on. As I understand it as well, part of that project has involved sort of making a digital record of the wall as well and preserving that for future generations. So can you tell us a little bit about how that happened, what the process behind that was, and what role that can play in future for the continued preservation of the wall? Yep, so we surveyed the wall um, with photographic surveys where we started off by looking just brick by brick, seeing what we could see with our eyes, maybe with extra help with fingers trying to feel letters torches anything we could to enhance these inscriptions so brick by brick recording what we can see and then taking a really detailed photograph of it and then the wall as a whole we used the technical photogrammetry where you take a series of overlapping photographs at a distance and set heights and we're able to make that into a 3d model and that's what you can see on our website and then so for there you can see each brick and you link see the link story so that's how we're presenting it to the public um, as this interactive 3D model. Uh, so making a 3D module 
was makes it available publicly online and worldwide so people who may not be able to visit Southampton that perhaps had a relative named on the wall we kind of can give them a virtual tour make them feel like they were there uh, it's also useful for say holding the information of all these stories and the details of each person so if this wall erodes over time then we still have the photographic record of how it looks today and actually looking back to the photographs that were taken in the 70s and the 90s, there's not that much erosion occurring. Actually, it's the weather conditions that affect how well you can see it. If you go on a dry, bright day, the names almost disappear. They just look so faint. But if you go on a wet day, especially if it's cloudy and overcast, the names are still carved really deep and are really clear to see. So the digital record will be there for all time, hopefully. And we will be able to see those bricks regardless of weather or erosion or whatever else may happen in that area. Brilliant work. And, and touching on some of the um, the challenges, if you like, you're talking about the weather conditions and erosion, what were some of the biggest challenges that the Maritime Archaeology Trust faced during this project? That's a tricky one. <laughs> um, I think the biggest challenges were the weather because we never saw the wall in the same condition twice. Every time we went, it would be a different weather condition as we were going through 18 months. So we had 18 months of different weather. Um, the names appear and disappear during that time. And then, of course, we had COVID, so we couldn't, um, couldn't quite complete all of the surveys we had hoped to do. Um, we had hoped to do more volunteer surveys, but unfortunately, we weren't able to meet up. Luckily, during this time, the volunteers have been able to continue researching because we were using online websites. Um, yeah, that's about it. There wasn't, weren't too many challenges, to be honest. It's one of the easiest projects. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks. And it, it does shed some light on sort of the, the process behind it and the, the, the journey, if you like, in, in completing this project. So what now can anyone listening do to continue um, learning more about this project and what more can they go and access online what more can they see and, and sort of come into contact with if you like um, as I mentioned our on the website is a 3d model which has all the stories of the individuals embedded within it and there's lots of photographs and some original archive documents on there you can go and see their draft cards and it's amazing to see how sometimes their signature so closely resembles their inscription and in fact sometimes that was how we identified people was by matching the writing. So that's really interesting to see. Uh, we've contacted some of the families. So some of the families have been able to send in photographs and memories, which are all included there. There's a project booklet, which tells the whole process of recording the wall, the work that was done previously, and the stories available. Uh, there's a video, which we released recently, again, telling the whole process. There's an education pack for schools and the home learners a walking tour of all the World War II memorials in the city produced by one of our volunteers. Um, lots of articles about World War II. So if there's any aspect of World War II, Southampton or D-Day you're interested in, you can find something there. We've also touched on some of these outlined subjects like the war brides, 70,000 war brides and children uh, left England after the war to go to America to start new lives. And a lot of those ships were sailing from Southampton. There's a story of the millionth Yank. Uh, he was photographed, had a little ceremony as he was leaving. That's quite an interesting story. Helen, thank you very much for your time this morning. It's been absolutely fascinating to hear more about the stories from the wall 
and I really will encourage any listeners to go away to listen to um, you know, the, the video that you've already put together after listening to this podcast to go and watch that, to look at the resources that are on the Maritime Archaeology Trust website, and I'll pop links to those in the description so they can be easily accessed by any listeners. But as I say, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely fantastic to hear firsthand so much detail about the wall. And I really appreciate you coming on and giving us your time there this morning, Helen. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. No problem at all.